Let me just begin by saying a a few things by way of introduction, and then we'll read our text that will be with you uh, in the bulletins. If you have that, it's printed out for you there. Uh, But one of the things that we have to realize as we come before Scripture, whether we have been Christians for a while or we've not yet committed our lives to Christ and we have questions and um, maybe even objections to the gospel, is that Scripture does not shy away from telling us things that we don't want to hear. And the Bible does not shy away uh, from forcing us to see things that we might not want to see and acknowledge. It also calls us in faithfulness to the Lord uh, to do things at times that we're not quite comfortable with doing. And in light of our text this morning, Hal, a long time ago, had said that um, I would be preaching on forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And so uh, in the following weeks, we'll go back to where we were in the series to give us this day our daily bread. But today we're going to be looking at forgiveness. And so for Christians, it's a call to realize how forgiven we are. And it's a whole lot more than we often recognize. And for maybe those of you here this morning who, for one reason or another, are skeptical or cynical, or just have not yet handed over your life to the King of Kings, uh, let me share this story and, and hope that in some ways you experience this this morning as we move forward. Some of you know the name Ernest Hemingway, uh, a very famous author. And Hemingway wrote a very short story um, about a father who is looking for his son and he goes into the, one of the largest cities uh, in Mexico where he thinks his son uh, is there and is hiding and has ran away because he severely offended his father. And he puts an ad in the local newspaper uh, and he says, Paco, I am at a liberal hotel. All is forgiven. Please come home. Uh, And one of the things that Hemingway points out is that the the local army had to be called in because so many people came to the hotel named Paco. (laughs) And Hemingway writes that somewhat humorously to say, there's a lot of people named Paco. But I think he gets at something deeper that says if we're all honest with ourselves, we really do long to hear the Father say, All is forgiven. Please come home. And maybe you're caught here this morning and you finally see, in a sense, that ad taken out, God puts it in Scripture for the first time, and you're showing up at the room saying, I sure hope He's talking about me. And so for all of us here who need forgiveness, Christ in this text calls us to pray for just that. So let's give ourselves to the reading of God's Word. Uh, This morning, I'll just be reading the actual uh, Lord's Prayer, and I'll be taking us back to some of the earlier verses as we move forward. But let's start in verse 9 of Matthew chapter 6. Jesus called them to pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. The reading of God's Word, let's pray. 
Father, we come before You and we pray that prayer that Christ taught us to pray. We say, Father, forgive us as we forgive our debtors. Father, help us this morning see the enormity and depth of the debts of which You have forgiven us. And through that, Father, we would forgive others that we might be a community of reconciliation that the watching world would see and long to be a part of. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the things I want to begin with is just saying where we're heading this morning. And it's a simple theme. I hope it's a theme that sticks with you. Um, I hope it's a theme that you can think about throughout the week. That you can think about it and kind of examine your own heart. But even more than that, examine uh, the Lord's heart. And that simple theme is this. That the forgiven forgive. The forgiven, forgive. The forgiveness which God has given to us, the, in a sense, vertical experience of grace that we have in and through the gospel of Christ, crucified for sinners, resurrected from the grave, that experience of grace, that forgiveness, He calls us then to express towards others as we become His people forgiven, Forgivers, And so I want to look at the first aspect of this prayer where he says, Father, forgive us our debts. And then secondly, as we forgive our debtors. And so the first thing I want to look at is that we are the forgiven. One of the things I want to look at first is just one of the simple implications of this text that we often don't think about or quickly pass by. And to get to that point, I want to quote, I think, one of the most popular uh, and famous theologians of the current day. Uh, If you have ever watched the movie Frozen, you know her, Princess Ella, Elsa. I will say, I get their names wrong all the time. My kids get upset, and they're like, it's Anna, not Anna, Dad. The kids are laughing. That's good to hear. But Princess Elsa, I remember hearing my own children sing the song, let it go. Let it go. And that's where I stop. No more singing. But they're singing this song, and I remember listening to the lyrics saying, huh. Because if we listen to them, we think, oh, they're so innocent. They're so fun. Listen to her, because she is a theologian. And listen to what she says. Let it go. Let it go. It's time to see what I can do. To test the limits and break through. There is no right and no wrong. No rules for me. I'm free. Theological statement? Yes. Accurate? No. Our current culture would say yes. Do you realize that as you leave this place, the, the culture that we swim in, that we are a part of every single day, says there's no right and there's no wrong. I'm totally free. And you know, here again, Scripture comes to us and it points out a reality that is so hard for us to face and to acknowledge and accept. That we live in a world where Princess Elsa is wrong. Because there is right. And there is wrong. In light of God's holy character and His 
perfect law that He has given to us, when Jesus says for us to pray to your Father in Heaven and ask, Father, forgive us, it means there were purposes for your life that He has for you that you are not pursuing. There are boundaries that He has given to you in love that you have crossed. There are things that He calls you to do for others and for Him that you have failed to do. And all of that leads to the devastating consequence of wrath. And so initially we cry out and and God shows Himself as one who's willing to forgive. And so as we see later on in Luke, one, one sinner says, Father, or he says, forgive me a sinner. And Jesus says, He walked home justified. And so one of the things we see here is that God is a God of forgiveness, but He's also saying to Christians, not only do you live in a world where there actually is everyone, where there is right and wrong, but He's implying something not just about the world that we live in, but about the condition that is still ours as we live in a fallen world. That, that even as a Christian, when we accept that initial, full, free, complete forgiveness, Jesus is saying in this daily prayer that every day you're supposed to ask for forgiveness. And what does that still mean? Again, it comes to us and it says, here's something your heart doesn't want to hear. Calling us to face something we don't want to face. We still fall short. We still sin against our Father. We, we still transgress against Him. Sin against Him. Sin against others. Hurt others. And Jesus says, ask for forgiveness. God's not keeping a record of your performance and just wondering, well, can I love you today? Have you been good enough? He's not saying that. He's saying, every day, ask for forgiveness. I love you. I will give it to you. So he's not only implying something about the world that you live in, he's also implying, even if you've given your heart to Christ, every day, every day, you won't just need a little. You'll need forgiveness to be lavished upon you. It's not just that we've done actions that are wrong and need to be forgiven. It's that our affections, St. Augustine said, and our loves are, are disoriented. We love things too much or we love the wrong things. Our affections are out of whack. We desire things that we shouldn't desire. And Jesus just simply says, when those things occur, and when you see them, don't try to fix it on your own. Don't try to make atonement in your own life. Ask for forgiveness. And here's the amazing thing. We don't just ask for forgiveness for the things that we fall short of. If you notice early on, uh, before this prayer, Jesus says, now when you pray, don't pray like this. To be seen by other people. Or that you have to be repetitive so that your Father will hear you. When you fast, don't fast to be seen as really religious and spiritual by other people. Uh, Barbara Duguid in her book, Extravagant Grace, uh, which some of the women will be going through this summer, which I highly recommend it. She says, listen, 
Um, it's in the context of some of my best obedience that I sin the most. Because I'm being faithful, and I start to say, aren't I better than everybody else? Well, I'm glad I'm not like them. I'm a Christian. Or whatever else she says, it's in the context of her obedience at times that sometimes her deepest sin comes. And again, even for our seemingly righteous deeds, sometimes we have to say, Father, forgive us. Forgive me, my heart was so wrong there. And it not only implies things about the world we live in, there's right and wrong, about the condition that is still ours, we still fall short significantly every single day. But it also tells us something about God's heart. And here's what's so amazing. He wants to forgive you. And, and, and I love how Ephesians says it. it, it God, Paul doesn't just say that God forgives you, that he lavishes the riches of his grace and forgiveness upon you. That, that God the Father is more willing to forgive than we are willing to ask for forgiveness. And it's amazing that in, in Exodus chapter 34, when, when Moses prays, God, show me your glory. You remember that prayer? Show me your glory. It's amazing that when God passes by and shows him some of his glory, not all of it, he says, you want to know my glory? You want to know what makes me unique and set apart? I am the God who is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and gracious, steadfast in love, showing steadfast love to thousands, listen, forgiving sin iniquity, and transgressions. He's saying, you know what makes me unique and set apart from every other false god? I forgive you. And I don't just forgive a little. I forgive it all. So he's saying something about the heart of God. When Jesus is here teaching me and teaching you to pray, he's saying, you still fall short. And I'm not saying that to shame you. But I'm saying that so that you will, in sincerity, look to the Father once again and just say, will you forgive me? And did it cost God something to forgive us? Listen, the Father. The Father had to turn His back away on His own Son and pour out all of His wrath and condemnation for our sin on Him who knew no sin. And so it cost the Father huge to forgive you. And what did it cost the son? It cost him his life. He had to enter into death for our sake. His body was broken. His blood was shed, which we'll celebrate in the Lord's Supper. All of that was the cost that Jesus Christ personally paid to forgive us. There was great cost for him to be able to simply say, I forgive you. It's one of the last words that Jesus prayed on the cross. Father, do what? Forgive him because they don't know what they're doing. So let me ask you this. Let's just think about what that means for us right here, right now, this morning. Have you accepted this forgiveness initially? If you're here this morning and you're wondering what this Christianity is all about, let me loudly and declare you, to you, say that God is here this morning as a Father longing to forgive you Like the father in Ernest Hemingway's story saying, all is forgiven, just come home. 
Would you come home this morning? Has God been convicting you? Has God been chasing you, pursuing you, coming after you? Not to condemn, but to draw your heart to Him and say, I forgive you. Would you ask for forgiveness here this morning? Christ once again offers it to you and says, be reconciled to the Father through me. And you can walk out of these doors today a new creature in Christ. Not only that, do you, believer, ask for forgiveness repeatedly, regularly, deeply, humbly? And here's why I say this. I think the reason why a lot of times I don't pray this prayer on a regular basis is because of prideful comparison to others. In other words, we say, well, I'm doing good compared to them. At least I don't talk like that. At least I don't do that. At least I don't do that. I think I'm a pretty good person, so I don't need to ask for a lot of forgiveness. You see, now here's the thing. I'm sure Isaiah probably thought he was a pretty good guy. He's a prophet, nonetheless. But when he finally is confronted with the holiness of God in Isaiah chapter 6, do you remember what he says? Woe is me, for I am undone. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live amongst a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the Lord of hosts, the King. You see, you compare yourself to other people, you won't repent very much. You won't ask God for forgiveness. You're probably doing all right, because you can always find somebody else that you're doing better than. But God says, no, 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 don't put your eyes out there. Look your eyes up here. And the darkness will begin to be radically exposed in your life. And you will ask for forgiveness. So do you ask forgiveness not every now and then? Because really you're not too bad. Or every day do you wake up, do you go to bed saying, Father, forgive me. How far short do I fall? And yet you still love me. I don't love you with all of my heart, soul, mind, and strength, but you love me with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. I don't love others as I love myself, as you've called me to, my neighbors, but you still forgive me. How deep is your need for forgiveness? Do you see yourself as a huge sinner? Or not very big? Because we'll see that will impact how we relate to other people And for those of you here again this morning who have not yet committed your life to to Christ, I want to encourage you with something. One of the things that Jesus, by telling His disciples to pray in this way, is saying, tell the whole world you're hypocrites. Just beat them to the punch. Tell them you're a mess. Tell them you don't have your stuff together. Tell them every day. I have to ask for forgiveness. Isn't it encouraging just to hear this morning? It's so encouraging just to hear other believers say the confession of sin, saying, we need forgiveness again. I need forgiveness a lot. And I'm not proud of that. I'm just so glad He never leaves me or forsakes me. And He always forgives me. If you're here this morning and you're not a believer, hopefully it's good for you to hear Christians saying, We are a mess. And despite that, God never lets us go. But He always forgives us when we ask.
We are the forgiven if we've looked to Christ. Now let me just define a word for you this morning as we transition to what God calls us to here. It's the word inevitable. Okay? If you were to define that and look that up in the dictionary, it would say something like certain to happen. Okay? It's inevitable. It's so certain that it cannot not happen. Okay? Let me just illustrate this. We had the the men's uh, week, weekend the other week, and I was driving down by myself, and I realized there's a lot of peach farms in Georgia. <laughs> like a lot of peach farms. Now let's say I, I plant a peach tree, and I'm like, I really hope that it bears the fruit of double cheeseburgers. <laughs> or M&M's, that'd be even better. Is it going to do that? Highly improbable. The fact that it has peach tree DNA in it makes it inevitable, certain, that it will bear the fruit of peaches. One of the things that not only uh, Mark, or Matthew chapter 6 says, but 2 Corinthians chapter 2, Ephesians chapter 4, Colossians chapter 3, it will say this, just as you have been forgiven... so you must also forgive. Father, forgive us. Here's the inevitability. Just as we forgive our debtors. What he is saying is not you have to forgive others in order to earn your forgiveness with the Father. Not saying that. What he is saying is if you have experienced God's vertical grace of forgiveness in your life, It will be inevitable if you're genuinely a follower of Jesus that that experience of grace will express itself in the regular, deep, constant forgiveness of those you are in relationship with. And so, here we go. The forgiven tells us about our state, our condition. We're forgiven. The forgiven forgive. And so let's look at that here this morning as well. Again, we hear about how the first prayer kind of has this implication of the world we live in. This prayer has implications for helping you understand the people that you live with. Guess what? They're a mess too. Don't we forget that? I mean, here's the thing. If someone lived down in, let's say, Key West, Florida, and they're like, it's really hot in the summertime. Like, really hot. I'm going to get away from this hotness, and I'm going to move to Athens, Georgia. Not hot there, because it's north of here. What would you say to that? Wrong. Okay? And I think, too often, we say, okay, these relationships... Too much hurt, too much pain. I'm going to go over here and relate to these people, and there won't be hurt and pain. Disappointment. You know, that's, that's why Peter, when he's talking even to Christians in 1 Peter chapter 4, he says, love looks over or covers over a what of sins. Multitude. Welcome to the church. We're going to hurt you a lot. Know that up front. Oh, and by the way, it's not just the church. It's the outside world too. But we have something called reconciliation, forgiveness, and grace. It says, and when the hurt comes, we won't walk away from you. We won't 
run from you. We'll come towards you. We'll reconcile with you. And so one of the things that this implies is be ready. If you are forgiven by the Father, He will expect you and empower you to forgive others when they either mildly disappoint you or severely devastate you with some kind of hurt or pain, all the way from kind of the silly trivialities sometimes that just disappoint you to the severe trauma that can happen at times in a relationship, whether inside of a marriage, outside of a marriage, in a friendship, someone that you're relating to at school, someone you have to work with at work, Jesus is saying, be prepared to forgive. I think too often we have a variety of different strategies when the hurt and the pain come. And that's either totally attack or completely avoid. And I'm going to explain that here in just a minute. Many of you know I'm a history buff, so we're going to go down history lane right now. World War I, Germany. The Allies are fighting against Germany. They're sending as much bullets as they can, men as they can, and they're realizing they're just losing. Okay? They're trying to go on the attack, trying to go on the offensive, and they just can't win. Okay? And I wonder how for you, if you're someone who, when the hurt and the pain comes, you go on the attack. In other words, it's you hurt me, I'll hurt you. You hurt me, I'll point out all the flaws in your life. You hurt me, I'll go behind your back and tell everyone how awful you are and how nobody should get close to you. You hurt me, and I will get historical on you. What do I mean by that? I mean by this. Sometimes with people you relate to, they disappoint you somewhat, a little bit, and each time they disappoint, each time they hurt, it's, you don't mention it then, but you just use it as a bullet that you put in your clip. And you get it, and you put it in, and you put it in, and you put it in, and each time. But when the hurt gets big enough, you pull out your gun, and you unload. You remember this time, you remember this time, you remember this time, pain. And now I cause you pain. How many of us here this morning have marriages that are like that? Friendships that are like that. It's how we treat people at work. People in our communities. We answer pain with pain. Or, the Allies learned their lesson. They said this whole going against them. It's not working. Let's silently retreat up the river. Put a blockade around the opening of the river in the ocean. And let's withdraw our presence and let's withhold what is vital for life for them. Medicine and food. And a scholar at Yale says it was one of the most successful war techniques ever used. Over a million people in Germany died and it helped to end the war. And all they did was withdraw. And all they did was withhold. So we can either go on the attack in our relationship when the hurt and the pain comes, or we can just withdraw and withhold. If you can't withdraw physically, just withdraw emotionally. Don't engage. Don't pursue. Don't go after. 
Don't ask questions. When they ask questions of you, answer with one word. How are you doing today? I'm good. What you got going on this weekend? Not much. No longer invite them out to dinner. No longer do things with them. Just avoid. Oh, and especially unfriend them on Facebook. (laughs) Just hope they don't find out too soon. Anne Lamott, some of you know her, is an author. And she said that an unwillingness to forgive is like you eating rat poison and expecting the rat to die. You being unwilling to forgive the offender in the end will actually destroy you. Where are you in that continuum of avoid or attack? If you were to say, so-and-so did X to me, and I responded, why? How do you respond? For me, it's usually, and my wife will tell you this, I do the avoid and withdrawal. That's what I do. It's rare for me to attack, but in a second I'll avoid, I'll withdraw, and she has to plead with me to come back into the relationship and to deal with whatever it is that's blocking us. And into this context of relationships where pain is inevitable to come, and listen, I know some of it's devastating. I know some of it's severe. And for some of you, I don't even know the half of it. And we're not saying that this is easy. And we're not saying that this comes quickly. But what we are saying is that God's grace empowers us to respond to others with that kind of forgiveness. And what is forgiveness? Uh, Tim Keller defines it as absorbing the cost, not exacting the penalty. In other words, I'm not going to make you pay for this, even though I want you to. And it will cost you something. And there will be pain. And it's not just the one time, boom, it's over. Sometimes it comes back and it comes back and you have to say, I forgive them. I forgive them. Miroslav Volf at Yale, actually a Christian professor at Yale, and he's teaching and he says, listen, here's forgiveness. And and his family went through the Croatian civil wars and some of his family was slaughtered. And he talks about his need to forgive his enemies. And he says, forgiveness is the generous release of a genuine debt. A generous release of a genuine debt. And so when we pray, Father, forgive us, we also say, as we forgive our debtors, And let me tell you this this morning. I would say that there's four promises to forgiveness. I get this from Ken Sandy. It's not my own. And a book called Peacemaker, which I'd recommend to everyone. When we offer forgiveness, we are seeking to be faithful to the following four promises. Try to go slowly if you'd like to write them down. I will try not to dwell on this. Isn't that the first thing we do? We just dwell, 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 and they become uglier and uglier and uglier in our eyes for what they did. I will try not to dwell on this. The second promise is not only will I not dwell on this incident, I will not bring it up again and use it against you. It might not mean that it never comes up again, but it means it will never come up in order to be used 
against you again. And the third is, I won't tell others about this to shame you or to gossip about you. Some, we have to walk with others and say, help me deal with this. How do I walk through this? But it's never with the intent of being malicious towards the other. I will seek not to tell others about this. And I will not let this incident stand between us and hinder our relationship. As a pastor, I see it over and over and over where we say, I forgive you. And we think that just by saying the words, I forgive you, that I really did. And I've heard people I've talked to even this week say, you know, we, we, ha- we walked through this process of forgiving each other, but they still treat me with a cold shoulder. They still avoid me. But they still do everything they can in, in public with others to, to gossip about me. And we, we, we're supposed to have forgiveness. Forgiveness, I'll try not to dwell on this. I will not bring it up again and used it against you. I won't tell others about it, and I will try not to let this hinder our relationship. And depending on the gravity will depend on the time that it takes to really get there. So how do you respond when the hurt and the pain and the disappointment comes? Attack? Avoid? Or the generous release? of a genuine debt. Here's how you can have power to respond. Let me just say this. You remember the parable that Jesus uses in Matthew 18 of the the king who graciously forgave the guy's debts? The king says, look, the guy comes to him and he owes him 200,000, not years worth of salary, lifetimes worth of salary. It's an infinite amount that nobody can ever repay. And the guy says, please have mercy on me. Release my debt. And the king goes, you know what? I'm going to have compassion and I forgive you. You remember, then he finds someone who owes him 100 denarii, just 100 days worth of wages, and he like strangles them and throws them in jail. Listen, if you see yourself as kind of a not too bad sinner and everybody else is the big ones, you will have a really hard time forgiving. But if you genuinely, in the core of your being, see yourself as that man or that woman or that boy or that girl that was released of a 200,000 years worth, lifetimes worth of debt, and God the Father forgave you, it might not come easy and quick to forgive somebody. But you'll say, I have been forgiven much. And so I forgive you too. We are the forgiven forgivers. Just as we have been forgiven, so we must also forgive. It's a delight. We image God by doing this. And I wonder this morning if there's anyone in your life, family, extended family, a mom, a dad, a child, a friend, a coworker, a student that you study with, that you have to go back and say, I'm so sorry for attacking you or avoiding you and trying to make you pay. I forgive you now because I'm finally starting to understand the depth of the gospel for my own sin. Would we work on that today? Would we work on that 
this week. I'll conclude with this as we strive to be the forgiven forgivers. Many of you know the picture of a young girl, nine years old in Vietnam, running down a road with no clothes on, scared to death, screaming, burned head to toe. Just napalm was just dropped on her village, destroyed her family, destroyed her whole village, burned her whole body. She spends three years in the hospital. It's, a, it's one of the most famous pictures in all of Vietnam, showing her running down the road, screaming while everything is on fire in the back. Three years in the hospital. Then she wants to be a doctor so she can help other people heal. And the government takes her out uh, of her studies so that she can kind of be a government icon. She hates that. And notice what she says. The anger inside me was like hatred as a high mountain. I hated my life. I hated all people. I wanted to die many times. And interestingly enough, in 1982, she's studying in a library, trying to figure out, how do I live my life? How can I find hope? Where is hope? What do the religions have to say? And she becomes a follower of Christ. And these are her words. Take them to heart. God helped me learn to forgive this was the most difficult of all lessons. It, it did not happen in a day, and it was not easy. But I finally got it. Forgiveness made me free from hatred. I still have many scars on my body and severe pain most days, but my heart is cleansed. Napalm is powerful, but faith And forgiveness is more powerful. Amen? The forgiven forgive. Let's pray.